Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino, and Jeff Fiegels with you. We'll get our final thoughts with the draft coming in. We'll answer your questions, but let's start with our guest first, gentlemen, and that is Charlie Casserly, former NFL general manager, Super Bowl champion, and of course now a contributor and analyst on NFL Network. Charlie, you got John Schmelk, Paul Dottino, and Jeff Fiegels. Thank you so much for being with us today. Are you looking forward to Thursday night as much as we are? Sure, absolutely. Hey, live programming on sports. How about that? <laughs> I know. It's a minor miracle. We're, all of us are watching like games from the 90s, like it's some type yeah. of medicine. It's unbelievable. I'm with you, Charlie. Uh, let's start here. Um, what are you hearing here a couple days leading up to the draft um, about maybe, and we'll start right with the Giants, what the Giants' intentions might be near the top of the draft? Well, the assumption is they'll take an offensive tackle. They need one, and there's a number of good ones there. Uh, you know, guys that uh, uh, I would look at, it would be Jedrick Wills of Alabama, uh, Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Uh, those, to me, seem to be uh, the top two guys from this point of view. Uh, Wills plays right tackle. Thomas plays left tackle. But the people that have seen them live feel they both could play both tackles. So that gives you flexibility there. Uh, and, you know, the Giants will have to decide, I think, between those two guys which one they feel the most comfortable with. Now, the, the morning news here has Miami trading ahead of the Giants with Detroit. The assumption is they want to get an offensive tackle. So, uh, But the Giants will be fine. They're going to get a good tackle no matter what happens. Charlie, Dave Gettleman said the other day he would seriously entertain trade offers down, and we all know about his history as a GM, whether with the Giants or with the Panthers. He has never traded down in the first round. How much heat do you think he's going to get in terms of that phone ringing to make a deal down? And if you were him, how far down would you go understanding the value board and the needs that he has? I don't think he's going to get a lot of action. Okay, uh, that, That's my own opinion. I don't know that he'll get any calls on this thing. So uh, I don't think – I think it's going to be a moot point. And as far as to go down um, – Depending upon how you what, what you want to get out of this thing here, I mean, if you're saying, "Hey, we like X amount of tackles," then to me, uh, you know, if Miami's trading up, I mean, the only reason they trade up is to get a tackle. Um, the Chargers they can use a tackle. Uh, Arizona could use a tackle. So you wouldn't want to go very far back if tackle is is, is your uh, objective here. Charlie, I'll stick with the Giants. I think, you know, when we talk about need, we've addressed um, the offensive line, uh, both at the tackle position and center. We haven't talked much about that. But I also see that the Giants need uh, a safety. And they have Jabril Peppers coming off of, a, of surgery on his back. They've got a Julian Love as a rookie last year that kind of uh, accelerated his way up the depth chart and made some, some good plays and started some games. Who do you see maybe the Giants possibly taking – uh, first from the safety class, whether it's uh, Xavier McKinney from Alabama or Grant Delpit from LSU, maybe with that 36 pick? Well, McKinney will be gone. Delpit probably okay. will be there. And and Delpit would be a very good value at that point in time. I, I have a first-round gra- first grade on Delpit, so that, that would be an excellent value pick if they could get him. After that, uh, the position really dips more into the third round. Mm-hmm. So they, can, they might get a good player. A lot, safeties get taken – later in the draft and play uh, and end up playing because when you watch the tape per game, there aren't a lot of plays they're involved in. So uh, that's a position where uh, it, it kind of gets um, 
not devalued, but dropped down by round because of the exposure. Uh, so you can see more on other positions, and I think that's my theory why safeties, uh, you can find better safeties in later rounds. I see. Charlie, what's your feel right now for the disconnect? Because you have your foot in both worlds, right? You're in the media world working for NFL Network, but you obviously, with your experience as a general manager, you talk to all these guys in the league. Who are some of the players right now that you're seeing that your friends on the general manager football executive side maybe see a little bit differently, either good or bad, from the folks that kind of cover the draft from the media perspective? Well, you're starting to see some of the names come out now. Like at the end, it's really at the end of the first round. Um, some of the like Isaiah Wilson from Georgia. I mean, he was a, he was a name that when I did my survey at the end of the season, he had late one to early two grades on. Now all of a sudden, you're seeing him there. Uh, the wide receiver Hamler from uh, Penn State. Uh, I watched tape of him. I thought the guy was a terrific uh, prospect. Second round. Now you're starting to see his name came out come out there. Jalen Johnson, a corner from uh, Utah, press corner. Um, I had some good grades on him, some middle grade, middle round grades on him. Um, but then you're know, watching the tape. I thought, hey, this guy could be a late first rounder as a press corner. So you know, that's a name that you're starting to see to come out now. Charlie, we've heard from Dave Gettleman about how, without the lack of pro days and and you know the lack of visits. You have to trust more your scouts from the game film that they did, of course, your own evaluation of game film, and then whatever happened at the Combine. Do you sense that an old-school guy like Gettleman with a bunch of of scouts who have also been around a number of years, they may be better suited to, to make their picks than maybe some other teams because of the situation and what information they may or may not have been able to glean? Well, I started... Uh, I'm not sure what your Dave started, but we're not too much different, probably. But uh, uh, when I was in it, there was no con- when I started, there was no combine, no senior pro days, no psychological testing. Um, uh, interviews were not common. You drafted players more commonly than not without physicals. Okay, so what it comes down to is, like Dave said, is the uh, your value your scouts. Now we didn't have a film library. So that's a big advantage they have coming in this spring. Now they got a lot of things too. They got a lot. They got 330 physicals. They got 400 interviews. Uh, they've got uh, uh, probably 280 workouts. So they have a lot of things that we didn't have. Psychological testing over 300 of them. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that is in the bank. Uh, now, what 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 you have to do is take the time that you got. You got a lot of extra time now because uh, you're not on the road, and you can really get into the tape. A lot more tape than you've ever been able to look at before. So that's going to help things. Um, but what Dave's talking about is the quality of scouts. There are teams that wait till the spring to go heavy into this. The teams that have the best area scouts, that have the best information on character, evaluation of the players, live, um, that's the teams that are going to have an advantage. And that's what Dave's talking about, or I think what you're referring to there. Charlie, um Every year when we sit and watch this draft, particularly the first round, um, I really get excited when you hear a name come up and you just sit there and go, holy smokes, where did this one come from? There's always that guy. Um, Do you have an idea of who maybe that might be this year where somebody says, wow, what just happened and how did that happen? Well, I'm a bad one to uh, uh, to ask that question because (laughs) – I have information from the teams before I ever start this. 
Okay. So, like, to your question of what are some of the names, well, like Caesar Reese, I looked at him, I gave him a late first-round grade. Now, all of a sudden, you see his name there. Um, but I had a late first-round grade on the guy just off the tape. And uh, so I'm, I'm not the one who can tell you about the surprises because the surprises may be guys that we already knew about. Mm-hmm. Uh but I don't sense any off-the-wall ones. I guess okay. that's the way to look at it there. But we don't know. Sure. Charlie, uh, this is, I think, an interesting dynamic that not a lot of people talk about. Without these pro days and these pro days, teams talk to each other, and they try to feel out what the other teams are going to do in terms of their pick. So other teams might judge whether or not they want to move up for a trade. You're trying to judge other teams' intentions. Given how different this process has been, how has that impacted the intelligence teams have on other teams and what they want to do and how that might impact the trade market and how frequently or infrequently trades might happen in this draft as compared to others? Well, a couple things. Evidently, the league had a a smooth uh, day yesterday in their mock draft. I guess the very first pick was a little problem. But after that, people say it worked well. Uh, talked to 10 different people since yesterday. All gave it a plus uh, and felt good about the ability to make trades. Now, when you get to the five-minute uh, rounds, three through seven, that eh, may not be as smooth, so maybe they won't do as many. But they felt good about the first two rounds. My feeling is this. The coaches are the ones that do the talking uh, with the other coaches and get their shared information. And I've been around coaches that it's group thinking, and, you know, they evolve to whatever the group thinks of the coaches. See, they all think the same thing. <laughs> so I don't think you'll have – that's the thing I don't think you have as much of. But you have a telephone, so you can do it. Um, that never affected anything we did. I had two guys in the media that were A-plus sources that I used for information to gather for the draft. So it wouldn't have made any difference. Uh, now, maybe the information they're getting might have been not as good, but uh, well, I would have known what the teams were thinking, and that's what accounted. So the, the, the lack of pro days wouldn't affect my information gathering. And I don't expect you to put yourself in Dave Gettleman's shoes and tell us how he's going to line the whole thing up. But logistically, let, let's give an example to the fans out there. You're the general manager of a team in this environment. Who is connected to who and, and who is actually getting to talk first, and then how does that information get compiled? Is Dave Gettleman probably on the phone or on his connection with Joe Judge, the head coach, and maybe Chris Pettit, the director of college scouting, and then on all the other scouts maybe on their own line and then tied in once to Dave? How do you suspect it would go? Well, first of all, you've had all spring to get this thing organized. All right? And so you got your draft board set. And I, I can't tell you how Dave would do it, but we had everybody in the room, all the scouts, all the coaches, trainers in the room. And uh, so when it got near our pick, we would have people on the phone uh, to other teams seeing you know, what it would cost to move up and also what we could get from moving down. So you'll have that element. That's the one uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how smooth that would be at this point. But I've talked to teams, and they feel they can do it. So we get near our pick. I would be talking to the head coach, and we've already done this now for quite a few times already. Okay, here's our next three guys. Let's just review this. Do we have any trades? So I'd have to call one of the person in charge of trades. Anything happening? Yes or no? Um, and then we would, you know, back go over back of what we're going to do, uh, and we'll pick our player. Very smooth process because we've been doing this now for a couple of weeks, and we've drilled this uh, relentlessly. Then. Uh, yeah, we, we just repeat the process round after round, 
Um, but as you know, people are coming off as uh, the board the boards thin out after the first round because most people have the the same twenty five players, just different order. If you get to the second round, you got people have way different second rounds. Okay, it's just the nature of scouting. See, so uh, the the thing you got to watch there is if we got a guy with a second round value and and it's disappearing the round. Okay, now we got to make a move up. So the head coach and I would be in constant communication. Um, and if we needed something from the scouts, we'd call them. Uh, but our meetings were very open when we had them. So our scouts had plenty of opportunity to say everything. And it's all taken into consideration with the coaches. We just simplify it on draft day. That's all. Go ahead, John. Charlie, I want to ask you specifically about one prospect. That's Isaiah Simmons, someone that we've had long discussions about here. As a former general manager, you look at how he was used in college. How would you project him to the pros? How would you use him in base defense, on rundowns, then on pass downs, you know, to get him started? Do you have him focus on just one thing and then expand his portfolio later? Where do you think he eventually winds up? Just your overall take on Simmons and just kind of how his unique methodology of being used in college, you know, might impact evaluations. And if you were running the show, how would you use him in the NFL and work him into things? Well, the Giants, okay, the Giants play a 34 defense. This guy, to me, is not a, not a linebacker in a 34 defense. I think he's a safety. Now, he actually probably would play Pepper's position. Um, I'm not sure how good he'd be at free safety. Uh, I, I would try him there, but I'm not sure that's his best position. So he's better than Pepper's as far as the cover guy goes, see? Um, but so that, again, I don't think they take him because of that, because they got Pepper's. But uh, nickel, this guy would be outstanding covering tight ends and running backs. So, so he would play nickel right off the back for you. And then his home position to me would be your, your uh, strong safety position. Um, in a 4-3, he's a will linebacker, outside linebacker in a 4-3. Charlie, let me ask you the flip question from one we asked you just a few minutes ago when uh, Jeff Fiegels asked you about the guy who may surprise and sneak into the first round. Is there any feeling amongst the NFL football community, not the media community, but the football community, that there are a couple of superstar names that people keep talking about in the first round that are going to suddenly drop like a stone and make everybody surprised that, guess what, the football community doesn't think nearly as much about these guys? Yeah, you know, I don't know if I have a, a sense on that. Um, for example, a receiver. I, I've got two guys that are number ones, Judy and Lamb. Now, I think there's a lot of other good receivers, but these guys kind of separate themselves. So uh, whether a Justin Jefferson drops down some because uh, he's the fourth receiver, maybe he goes lower than the, than some of the projections, um, that's a possibility. Um, there's always the possibility that uh, Miami passes on a quarterback, then uh, uh, the Chargers take one, and then whoever they don't take is, is going to be all of a sudden slipping down later in the draft, like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's that's a scenario there. Um, Isaiah Simmons could go anywhere, as we talked. Um, so that that's pretty it. Uh, that, that, that would be it, what I would say is the, you know, the uh, possibilities to talk about there. So, Charlie, I guess I'll go here for you because the Giants are in an interesting situation. They select the 36 in the second round. They don't have their own third-round pick, so they have to wait all the way to 99, and then they select again at 110. So if you look at those two slots, that 36 spot and then that you know pick 100 area, 
In those two individual spots, you could talk about them separately. Where do you think, at what positions are you going to find some pretty good value where, you know, you're not worried about filling a need, but you want to get the best possible player. What positions do you think will, be, will have some nice sweet spots there at 36 and then around 100? Well, 36, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, you, I think there's a second-level tackle there that you might be interested in. Um, definitely interior line, no question about that. Uh, the receiver group is good. You'll get a good receiver there. I think you can get a good corner there. A um, little early for the tight ends. Tight ends, Komet Notre Dame is my highest-rated tight end, second-round grade. A lot of tight ends in the third round that I think are interesting guys. Um the second-level pass rushes, there's some interesting guys there. Uh, so I think, you know, that's a possibility. That's a poss- Those are some possibilities, see. And then finally, Charlie, for me, um, if you're the Giants, they, they have 10 picks. Most of them are later, as John said. They've got that compensatory at 99, and then they have one early in the 100s. And they've got a lot of, of picks in the third day. What is your emphasis, if you're Dave Gettleman, on that third day? Are you just looking for BPA, best player available, as you proceed to go deep into the draft because you simply have to get as many good football players as you can? Or are you trying to still target some needs because we do know they are thin in a lot of spots on their roster? I think the best player available because it's a guessing game. Um, Your college free agent crew may be better this year uh, for some of the reasons we talked about. Uh, less information on players, so they're going to get dropped down. Uh, your scouts on, on players that don't go to the combine, you don't have workouts, but you know, you've got tape, but you might have a better opinion on some guys that uh, you'll have rate, rate higher than other people. So best player available is, is what, exactly what I would keep doing all the way through. Just collect players. Um, mm-hmm. Now, some teams put a lot of value on special teams ability, uh, and I think that would be a big point of emphasis with Joe Judge coming from New England, and that was one of the things New England did. So special teams, I think, will factor more into their later ground grades uh, than maybe some other teams. Well, Troy, final question, and then, again, thank you so much for the time. You just mentioned Joe Judge. You might put some emphasis on special teams. Look, we've obviously talked to him a few times. We haven't seen him run any practices. We haven't seen you know what the offense and defense are really going to look like, per se. How do you think Joe Judge and this coaching staff is going to influence uh, the way Dave Gettleman executes his draft. What type of players is he looking for? Is he looking for the athletes that he can teach? Is he looking for really smart players? What do you think is going to be the preferred Joe Judge type of player that he wants on his roster? Well, the special teams part of it will enter into it. Uh, I think intelligence, you go to New England, intelligence seems to always be really important there. Uh, football being important, physicality, car- football character. Um, I think he's going to emphasize that throughout the draft, but especially his first pick, because his first pick is going to be a signature pick uh, to start his career, though I think that's a little bit overrated because at the end of the day, can the guy play or not? <laughs> um, but but I think he'll get overanalyzed. I don't think Joe's going to worry about that, but I do think football character intelligence um, will weigh heavily on that first pick. And Charlie, I got to imagine just a quick follow up that all of Joe Judge's uh, contacts in college. You know, uh, he he worked with Kirby Smart at Alabama. Obviously, Nick Saban, the Belichick Kirk Ferentz connection. How valuable is that going to be uh, for this coaching staff and front office to get a feel for these college co- for these college players from college coaches that either had them directly or played against them or recruited them? Well, if you've got a relationship with the coach and he'll tell you the truth, then it's invaluable. But this is ultimately, you only have so many uh, contacts. 
this is where your scouts, especially your veteran scouts, I mean, they're gold in this situation because uh, you got you, you'll come back to them and say, well, what do you think uh, about X? Because you haven't had that extra look in the spring, so there's the people that have to have the contacts because that's the whole country now. Got it. Charlie, you're the best. Thank you so much. Enjoy the draft this week. We really love your work. Best of luck, and I hope you and everybody in your family and your world are, are safe and healthy, okay? Thank you, Charlie. Great stuff, Charlie. Right, great with you now. That's Charlie Cashley. He does a great job for NFL Network. Uh, guys, your take. Give, uh, give me your takeaway from that spot with Charlie, everything you had to say about the p- potential of trades and things of that nature. I thought it was interesting how he mentioned that right off the bat that in uh, he, he's in D.C., so in that area, they think the Dolphins might trade up looking for a tackle, not a quarterback. <laughs> that blew my mind, John. Mm-hmm. I had not heard that from anybody. Now, again, Charlie wasn't reporting that. It's something that he said was in the paper. Yeah. Yes, yes. But but he also has enough of feel and enough of uh, branches out in the NFL community to know what is probably total smoke and to know what might have a little bit of substance to it. Jeff, are you buying the whole Miami Herbert thing and maybe the Chargers and the Dolphins or at least one of the two passing on a quarterback completely at five or six? Or do you think that's smoke right there to try to stop the other team from moving up to take their guy? Well, first of all, I, I, I was intrigued by what, when I asked him the question about the big mover guy, that you say, wow, and how he responded by saying, you know, I have a lot of information that none of you can even hear. So he under he knows who that guy is going to be. I thought it's just great how he, he told mm-hmm. us, I can't tell you who that is, um, which makes me believe, uh, listen, I, I think that the Dolphins, they've got to get a quarterback. They've got to get a quarterback. So I think this is a smoke show. I really do. I think all of it is a smoke show right now. I think that, um, you know, all the stuff that I'm reading and people that are, are talking about Dave Gettleman and this and that, I'm a firm believer, guys, that history repeats itself. And, and, my, and my point is that I think that Dave is a guy that just is set in his ways that he's going to sit there and he's going he's gonna to make people believe that he's going to do this and that and just see what he can get. But I think he's, st- I think he's staying there at four, man. And he's going to lock down and get that guy he wants. Well, Charlie, here's the, uh, Charlie I'm sorry, Jeff, here, here's the thing. I believe in my heart of hearts, and I want to get your guys' opinion on this too, I think Dave Gettleman really does want to trade down this year. I think if he can trade down and stay in the top 10, I think he'd jump at the opportunity. I honestly believe that. I just don't think there's going to be someone that wants to move up. What's your guys' overall opinion on that? Well, remember what Charlie said. He said it doesn't look good for the Giants, right? So I think that that tells you that there may not be somebody that wants to do that. I think, listen, I wouldn't be surprised about it, John, because I feel like if the Giants are going to go get a tackle, they still can get that tackle that they want as long as they're within, you know, that fourth pick being like maybe seven, eight, nine. They can still get their guy I, I you think, know, or one of their guys. I think if you're inside the top ten, you can get a yes. tackle you like. Yes, exactly. And I, but I don't think like if all of a sudden they're down to 14, even I think 12. screws everything up for Even us. 12 <laughs> gets a little dicey. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, you've John, always I, asked me, John. You've always asked me, and even Paul, you've asked me. I, I do not want if I'm going to trade down. I'm. I, I told you, I, five spots is my max. I'm not going outside the top ten. I can't do it. But I still. And you asked a good question, you know. And I would have loved to ask him, and I just forgot about this. Is, you know, how does in his mind, how do you get into that third round? I, I still feel like it's so imperative that the Giants fall somewhere in between thirty, you know, thirty-six and ninety-nine. How do we get there? How do we get there? And maybe this is the this is how you do it. You drop well, down. 
Two things, Jeff. One of the ways you could get there is if you did something with the 36, too. You could actually move down with the 36 and wind up getting something else lower by dropping down some. So that's a little bit of flexibility. And by the way, Paul, I I would be willing to move down to both spots. To be honest with you, yeah, if, and, and, yeah I understand. I, yeah, I understand that. Point. I think the second part to this, though, John, you and I were spent a lot of time talking to people in Indianapolis at the combine, and I think we got a strong feeling there that there would be enough of teams who wanted to go get a quarterback that there may be two or three teams trying to trade into the top five or six. And at least that seemed to be the feeling I got from most of the folks we had on the shows. Well, now as we're getting closer and closer and closer, and you're finding out over the last several weeks, and although I was never that big on Tua anyway, he seems to have lost a lot of steam because there are people scared about the injuries. There are people who apparently didn't like his Wonderlick test. There are people who said he did not necessarily have uh, good interviews at the Combine and even video interviews. And, and then Charlie comes out on our program today and says, I don't think the Giants are going to get a lot of heat for that pick. So now I'm thinking it's really the opposite from thinking that they would have a realistic chance to deal. And I agree with you. I do believe that if Dave Gettleman could move down two or three spots, he'd be eager to do so. I now am of the opinion he's not going to get the chance to do yep, it. He I agree. will have to pick it four. And by the way, Dane Brugler said on our show yesterday that he's looking at scenarios now where Tua gets past five and six. And then he's looking at, well, then who's going to take him? So is it, could it be a target of nine for Jacksonville? Could it be a target of 12 for Oakland? How could it far, be New England? Yeah, I mean, could, could New England or New Orleans mm-hmm. trade up for him as yep. their quarterback of the future? Those are two things he brought up too, Jeff. Great point. And... You know, how far can that fall go? And at what point does somebody sitting there say, yo, I got to go up and get this guy, even if I'm giving up first-round picks from next year. So I think that will be an interesting thing to watch, Paul. John, there's one other element to this quarterback thing, too. And I also think it's, again, another climate change from when we were in Indy. It seems that love is getting a tremendous amount of boost into the first round in the last week or so. Yeah, see, I haven't felt that. I, I almost feel like... I feel like he's not getting, at least not top 15, top 20, Buzz. No, see, I, I have not seen as much of that. I think I think NFL teams are really afraid of his decision-making. And I think, do you know who I think really has hurt Jordan Love? Jameis Winston. Because I think teams see him and they see he can make all the throws. He's physically gifted. He was a top pick. He's awesome, right? But he just hasn't been able to fix that. And I think teams worry about that with Jordan Love. That's my feel. That may be true, but but I am seeing a lot more first-round conversation about him. Now, if we're talking around 20 or so, I'm not going to disagree with you. But the point is, I'm, I'm getting the sense that from where there may originally have only been three or four potential quarterbacks in the first round, I seem to be hearing a lot more people think that there could be five because in the lower part of the first round, you may still be able to grab one that you think is worthy. And that does, to some degree, change the price tag on teams trying to move up to get one. Well, you know, let's have some fun then. Guys, let's play a game. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. Please. No, I just wanted to ask both of you a question because I, I, I really didn't get the answer I wanted 
as far as um, from Charlie. And by the way, when we're talking about Charlie, we're talking about Charlie Casterly, just so everybody knows that. <laughs> um, not the other Charlie that thinks he knows everything. No. Um, <laughs> um, See, only you would bring up Charlie from Maine. Jeff, well, take it a saying, shot. Everybody, like on it. the show, everybody hears Charlie, they think of him. But I just want everybody to make sure they're thinking of the real guy, Charlie Casterly. Um, my question to you both is, and I feel like this is something that just hasn't been talked about enough, is that safety position. I, I, I know that you guys have heard me, and I, 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 the second round to me is, is the center, the interior pos- offensive line position that I want them to go for. But I am a little bit nervous about this safety position. I, I just wanted to get your guys' take on it. I mean, you don't have to go and draft a safety in the first round, but I feel like the Giants need one. I think they need yeah. another safety. My plan, my plan, Jeff, and I was hoping when we're done with recording the show, my two and a half year old cooperates. I was going <laughs> to try. Luck. Yeah, I know exactly. I was going to try to drill through as many of the safeties as I could today. And obviously, I can. I'll try to do like okay. a half an hour on each guy. I watched this morning. I watched McKinney, and I watched a decent amount of Delpit. Yeah. Um, I would be leery of drafting Delpit. He can run, he can cover, but there are a lot of missed tackles on that tape, man, and bad missed tackles where, you know, he's coming up, crashing down on a running back, and instead of trying to tackle him for him, he's like diving at ankles, stuff like that. I don't like that. And Xavier McKinney, what you like is that he played all, all over the place. He played slot, he played linebacker, you know, the, the, the low safety, he played high safety. The way I see McKinney, I don't think he covered well enough one-on-one, especially not against slot receivers. He had almost no chance against those guys. He was okay against tight ends. Yeah. I think he's better as a high safety guy. I don't see him as someone that's going to cover man-to-man. And then I'm going to hope to try to get to the Chin, the Duggars, the the Antoine Winfields, and, and those guys a little bit later. But, look, I, I think if the safety is the highest player on your board, Jeff, in the second round, sure, go ahead. I have no problem with it, but I wouldn't consider it a big need because I happen to think Jordan Love's going to be a very good safety, and that's just my opinion. Well, I I kind of agree with both of you, if I may, because I do think that Love is going to be a good free safety. Mm -hmm. When they drafted him last year, that was Dave Gettleman's intention, that he would eventually move into that starting lineup ahead of Antoine Bethea, and the Giants would be set for a while. But here's the thing. You really need a third. I mean, Michael Thomas is not on this team anymore, and he gave them some reps, some quality reps at both safety spots in the last couple of years. Right Right now, you're looking at Sean Chandler and Mark McLaren as your third safety, fighting it out for that spot. So, yes, John, I think they've got their starting two guys. I really do. But I also know you better have a third who can play. And And right now, I don't know that they have a third that can play. And guess what? That third could be that third round pick that we talk about, in my opinion. I think, you know, if you could get up into that third round pick, and by what John said, maybe it's the 36 or the one that, or Paul, whoever said it, you drop down to 36 a little bit to get a third rounder. I feel like maybe this is that the third round is where you could go find that safety guy. Uh, I would be I would be shocked if they took a safety in the second round with the 36 pick, but I believe you got to go get one of these guys sooner than later. And I don't want to be a fifth, sixth, or seventh round safety. I think that's you know who knows. I, I don't know that John. You're going to look at the rest of the class and and see how good they are. But I I, I sense from Charlie that. You know, after the two guys you mentioned, there's a pretty big drop-off. Yeah. Go ahead, ahead. Paul. I'm sorry. Well, John, my other question was going to be, in some cases, your third safety also winds up playing your slot. And right now, the Giants, I believe, are undecided at who their lead slot guy is going to be. Okay? I know that Askew Henry, the XFL guy they signed off of the uh, the, – 
the um, Guardians, is a guy who does project to the slot in the NFL. He is a safety by trade out of West Virginia, but he projects to the slot. Grant Haley had a down year last season, although he showed signs as a rookie. But right now, I don't know who the lead guy is for the Giants in the slot. I agree. So if you go and draft a safety, are you drafting one with the intention that he's going to compete to maybe be the lead slot guy? Or are you drafting a third safety to think he's going to be more a center fielder? And that's a question. Julian Love can play some slot. You know, right? Well, I don't think they really want him there, though, to be honest with you, Jeff, because if he had to, yeah, but I think you have other options. I think Askew Henry is probably better suited because of his quicks and short spaces. Mm -hmm. I think he's better suited to the slot than Love. Well, look, to me, me, guys, if you want to focus on guys like that, I think there are two prospects out there that really fit, Paul, what you're looking for in terms of can play safety and can play slot. If you're looking for that guy, I think Terrell Burgess out of Utah – is Mm -hmm. literally the perfect prospect for that. Unfortunately, I think he's a late second round, early third round pick. So he is right in that no man's land where right now the Giants don't have anything where they can select that type of player. So that's a problem. I would love to get Terrell Burgess. I think he's an excellent football player. The other guy is Kayvon Wallace out of Clemson. He's listed as a safety, 5'10", 206, but he played a ton of slot for Clemson last year, and I noticed him watching Isaiah Simmons. He's a good football player. He's a guy that I think could be available at the end of the third round, top of the fourth, where maybe he's the guy that kind of fills that, you know, hybrid third safety slot corner role. Yeah, it all depends on what it is that they want that safety to be. If you want that safety to be a center fielder, then you don't want the guys you just mentioned. If you want that safety to be a competitor for your slot guy, now that's a totally different story. Or, Paul, how about this? Do you want, if you don't go Simmons in the first round, are you looking for some type of hybrid safety linebacker? And then maybe Kyle Duggar or Jeremy Chin Uh. is someone you might be looking for. But if you want a single high guy, then you're looking at Grant Delpit, Ashton Davis, or Antoine Winfield. So you're right. It's a matter of what type of player you're looking for. You know, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll give you a guy who I liked later in the rounds, but he's more the free safety type, Jalen Elliott out of Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I thought he was pretty good at the senior ball. I thought he was okay there. You know, but but again, he's not going to compete at the slot now. So the Giants need to figure out, you know, exactly what it is that they're trying to acquire because there are certainly what we've learned. And, Jeff, I said this to John the other day. And because we we were having a, a text back and forth about Simmons and how you would use them and and some of the confusion in terms of the nomenclature and and the specifics, this game has become so specialized now. Okay, that you now don't have just a strong safety and a free safety. You've got the slot safety. You've got the deep cover safety. You've got the edge rusher, but you also have a blitzer who's not necessarily an edge rusher because he's not going to play man up over a tackle. We are adding so much specialization to these positions in the National Football League that it's getting more complicated and more complex than ever. And it's very dangerous to sometimes term a guy with a generic term when, in truth, it's he's he's probably encompassing two or three spots without even being quote Mister Versatility. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's Simmons. If you ask me, I mean that that's a guy that you know that you're right. I think that you have you become so specialized that you know how many. First of all, you want a guy that like Simmons. You're going to draft him. You want him on the field for all three downs, right? I mean, it becomes well, sure you do. 
And, you know, so where you put him on all three of those downs is important, depending on scheme and, you know, matchup stuff. You know, so. you know John and I had the conversation about Simmons last week with Lance and stuff. And, and this is probably the best time to even discuss this because it fits into what we're, we're yeah, talking about. I have always said that I believe that Simmons is going to be the best player on the board for the Giants at number four. I think he's the BPA ahead of all the tackles. But the problem is you have to figure out how to use him, as John has said many times over. My thing is this. If he's going to be in a 3-4, you're going to have to run a five-man front with your three down, your two backers on the outside. So where Simmons is really in a 3-4, but he's a blitzer because you're going to count on one of your five offensive linemen to have to deal with a double team on one of your other four guys. So that Simmons in that scenario is not an edge player. He's actually a blitzer. Now, well, but Paul, I think, though, wouldn't you use him as a blitzer more in sub-package? I mean, you're not really blitzing as much out of your base defense on a first and 10. If you're looking at him as, as a blitzer that's going to disrupt passing downs, you're not going to be in a five-man front. You're going to be in a four-man front. And then he's going to be floating as one of those two sub-package linebackers behind that four-man front, which, again, you can use him as a blitzer in that situation, too. That's fine, and that's more than doable. You can play him off the ball, keep him off a lineman. That works 100%. But I, I, think, and, and I, I, think, I think the way I would phrase the point, I don't know if you agree with me, you can't play him on the line, right? No. He's a space player. You want yes. him in space to run and hit, whether he's running and hitting a you know a, a running back catching the ball or a tight end or running and hitting a running back getting a handoff or running and hitting a quarterback on a blitz or going in coverage and covering a guy downfield. You want to keep him away from offensive linemen. You don't want to put him near offensive no linemen is my point. Well, I think, no that, I think when you heard Charlie talk about him and where he would play him, it kind of gives it answers your question right there, John. Well, you I, want to keep all those big guys off of him, well, so yeah. what do you do? You put him at safety where he can line up and not have to worry about well, this. And guy. Paul, if you remember this initial, remember this conversation we had with uh, Greg Cosell when we had yes. him on at the combine. Yes. Greg and, likes him as a safety, yeah, as a strong and, safety. Well, on in the three-four though, in the base defense. Yeah, and in a base defense, that's how I see him too. Though with Blake Martinez there, if you want to play him as, as kind of that mo mm -hmm. inside linebacker, as that kind of will guy that's not going to go and fill the hole and take on blockers, I think that works too. But in terms of his skill set, I do see his skill set as more of a safety skill set in base defense. But then when you get to the nickel and you get to the sub packages, I could see him playing linebacker very, very effectively. To Charlie's point, I want to use him as a you know third down back slash tight end eliminator. That's how I want to use him. Now, yeah, and see, he could the, do the, that if he played off three downs. He could easily drop down there in third down, right? I mean, go and, and cover the tight end. And or he could also blitz, blitz from them. that. Yeah, no I question. Mean, it would be exciting. I, I would tell you, and I think you guys would agree with me, I think he would do very well at that position. It's just a matter of, of the Giants or any other team want to put him there. I, you well, know, the, I think the, it's important. And when Charlie talks about your staff and your scouter, your scouting department, where do they see them? What kind of a scheme do they, they feel like he's going to fit in to their program? And maybe it is strong safety. Maybe it's not. Well, I think um, it's even more important how the coaches see him, no, Jeff? Well, I, I'm, I'm yeah. saying when in the evaluation process, so it, you bring this to the coaches, and the coaches tell you either yay or nay. Like, forget it, we're not playing him at safety. He's going to be a will linebacker, and you know whatever it is. Right. And then then you got to then you can get excited about drafting him because your your intent is to play him where you want to play him. Like I'm saying, like Patrick Graham, I'm sure he has some idea where he wants to play him if they're going to draft him and how they're going to use him. But he may not get that chance. Now, see, the best place for him, Jeff, and, and again, uh, John and I have discussed this too, 
I actually like him as a weak side outside linebacker in a 4-3 even better. Yeah, me too. Because if he's playing that position, okay, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to make him a rover. And as a rover in the 4-3, he can blitz the A gap or the B gap and come up the middle and cause havoc in the quarterback's windshield, or I can send him around the edge. And my four down defensive linemen are going to occupy those five offensive linemen because they're not going to know which of their five is going to have to shoot the appropriate lane that Simmons is going to be coming in. And that's why I think Simmons can be an incredibly disruptive blitzer. I see Simmons, to be honest with you, his total package, he is a Jesse Armstead type of player. Okay, if you guys remember Armstead in his prime, Armstead came in as a safety when he was at the University of Miami. The Giants decided, okay, he's going to be the nickel linebacker. So they converted him into that spot. Then Dan Reeves said, I'm going to make him an outside linebacker. And everybody said, you're crazy. He's not going to be big enough and strong enough. People are going to run at him left and right. They're going to bowl him over. And he's not going to hold up. And Jesse put on some power and he put on some weight. And he became a five-time Pro Bowl outside linebacker who didn't blitz much. Had a, a season high of nine sacks during one of his years. Simmons is a Jesse Armstead type of player who can go sideline to sideline, can shoot gaps, can cover, and in addition to the Armstead skills he brings to the table, I think he is also a sensational blitzer who shoots gaps to get to the quarterback. That's where he differs more than Jesse. But but that's why I'm so enamored with this guy. The problem is, as Dave Gettleman made very clearly the other day, when we look at these players, and he was specifically talking about Simmons, I have to figure out how does he fit the New York Giants. I don't think they would be playing the scheme often enough that will maximize Simmons' skills. So while I would love to draft him, and I would tell the coaching staff, this is what you need to do to make this kid dominant, they're not going to do that. So I don't predict the Giants to draft Simmons. I predict them to draft an offensive tackle. All right. I got a bunch of questions here that I pulled, guys. Are you ready to go through some questions to wrap up the show? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Let's start with, we'll start with a real basic one. This is from Andrew. This came in a few weeks ago, and I get a lot of these, so I'll just use this as an example. He asked, what do you think of this draft? Because I think it's ideal. He has the first-round pick is Mekhi Becton, second-round pick Patrick Queen, third-round pick Michael Pittman, and I'm going to stop it right there because Patrick Queen is not is probably not going to be there in the second round. No. And Michael Pittman Jr. certainly is not going to be there no. in the third round. So <laughs> I know a lot of people use these draft simulators, and they're great, but a lot of times they come up with – they spit out some wonky results <laughs> Yeah, where well, I will, I'll tell it's you what, just stick, not going to happen. But stick with his positions then. You know, and, and, and rather than a player, the position order. Do, he, that, do you like the order? I'm not sure a linebacker is going to be there in round two that's going to fit what they need. Yeah. Paul, what do you think about that? It's, it's, not, it's not likely, John. The value and the need probably are not going to match up. And then, of course, this invites the other question about potentially moving that 36 to try to get down and then get two picks cluttered together, as uh, I suggested well, before. And I want to bring this up then real quick. Edward Wright, since we don't have a third-round pick, 
and no picks between 37 and 98. What's the Giants' best plan to get back in that range, okay. and what players could they be targeting? Well, let yep. me ask you this. So sure. I, I feel like, and I think you guys will agree when I tell you this, I, I think that you know what will happen for that, for that linebacker to get pushed into the 36 pick from, from the question before is if there's a run on some position that pushes things down, right? And we always see that happen. Sometimes all of a sudden, out of the blue, like there's five receivers that go within the eight picks or something, just something stupid like that. I think that's the only way you'll get one of those linebackers at early at 36. And I think the answer to the second question, in my opinion, we've already talked about it, is move out of the 36 to get yourself a third rounder. And by moving down and maybe even get something else for it. Just depends on how far you want to go down. Yeah, because I'm not sure the player you get at 36 is necessarily going to be a lot worse than a player you could draft at like 50. You know what I mean? I don't know there's going to be much difference there unless, of course, but somebody drops out of that there, first though. round. John, well, you no. have a presence there. Oh, no, least. Jeff, that, that, that's yeah. my point. I agree. So why not move down from 36 to 50, picking up an extra three, right? And then all of a sudden, you're going to get almost the same type of player you would have drafted at 36 anyway. Well, then you've gone from four to 50. That's a long drop. No, no, no. You're dropping from pick 36 to 50, which is 14 picks, and then you're picking up an extra third-round pick. Yeah, but you've traded your. You didn't pick at thirty six. You're yeah, now I at know. fifty. Yeah, so, so I'm you've gone from f- four to fifty. What do you mean four to fifty? I'm you've not. Tra- I'm not four. trading my. Oh, oh, yes, that's fine though. I'm okay with that. You, you, I'd rather. I'd well, rather Jeff, suffer well, Jeff, from thirty six to, to ninety nine than from four to fifty. Just to, in my opinion. I no, think but Jeff, more... I'm just telling you. You're, if, if you're not pick, dropping ten spots, you're not picking up an extra three. If you want to pick up an extra three, you got to drop ten spots. Interesting. Okay. I think at least. Yeah, I mean, and I guess in the other Jimmy Johnson thing, does that come into effect? I don't know. I don't have that thing, you know, the the chart in front of me. Of what you got to do to drop from thirty six to get a third? Well, I can bring that up. Let's see what it says. Well, Paul, you got something? He, 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 well, here would be a possibility. How would you like Miami's number fifty six? I take that. You'd like you'd like that fifty six? Yeah, but what else am I getting? Because, All right. because that's a twenty pick drop. All right. So here's the problem. If you're gonna if you're gonna go for Miami's fifty six, that is gonna cost you approximately two hundred points. Okay, so you're gonna have a problem there. You, you, if you want to get that high, you're gonna have to wind up giving up your your ninety nine and your one ten, and you might even have to give up your five if you're so desperate to get up into. Uh, that other range. If you want to get that second, second round pick, you're going to have to basically gut yeah, yourself. Yeah, but I don't want to trade up for it, Paul. I want to trade down to get it. I want to get out of 36, and I want to move down 10 spots and then pick up a pick in the start. For example, let's say what one team that always likes to move, right? Um, let's say the Seahawks. Well, if I'm going Eagles. down, if you want me to move down from 36 to 50, then the Dolphins are going to have to give me their 70 back. So it's the 50 and the 70 for the 36. Well, for example, they, I know they probably won't trade with the Eagles, but I'll, how about the Ravens? I'll use that as an example. The Ravens pick at 55, okay? That's 350 points. The Giants pick at 36 is 540. So that's a 200-point difference. Right. If the Ravens gave you their pick at – let's see. Where would the Ravens pick there? You would have to get their pick at – Ninety two is not going to do no, it. No, but that's yeah. Ninety two is not going to do it. You're going to need a little bit more than that. So maybe that's so that now I think we know that would be dropping down a little bit too far. So let's say you drop down ten spots with the Broncos at forty six. Okay, forty six is a hundred point difference, and in order to get a hundred points out of the Broncos, see it would be a little bit too rich then 
for the Broncos to give you their pick at 83. So I'm that wouldn't you, work either. Take Miami. Miami's 56 and Miami's 70. That gives you 580 points, and the 36 is worth 540. No, and you're good. basically yeah. charging them a 40-point premium to come up to the early second round. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm with you. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right, 100%. 56 like and 70. For, no, 36 traded for 56 and 70. I would do that. And you got a 99. So you're now there. You go. Right? You're picking yeah. a 56, 70, and 99. I I personally and by the way, you also got trade. 110. Yes, correct. So That's have, not so bad either. Yeah. So you have four picks then in a span of 54 selections. That's yep. pretty good. And yep. then could you imagine if Dave does trade back at the number four, just a few, and picks up another one somewhere in there? Two or something else, or maybe next year, you know? Who knows? Yeah, but, Paul, you know what? I think that's a perfect spot. I I, th- I should have I, I interrupted you. I apologize. I no, think, no, I that's think, okay. I think that's a perfect spot, 56 and 70 for 36. I mean, now, I've, I've, been, I've been considering this for two days, so don't give me too much credit. Now, nah, that's fine. You did the work. So that's so 20 spots is a lot, though. Like, 56 and 36, you might, you, you know, and that's the trick. Like, let me ask you this, guys. Who do you think, in your opinion, could drop to 36 that you would rule out moving out of that spot? And you would say, no, I have to take this player. Well, if you, for example, Jeff is big on trying to go for a center. If you want Ruiz, he may get there to 36, but he's not going to be there at 50. Okay. I think at, that's at, at 56. Guy. How about and Zach Bond? Would he be somebody you wouldn't want to move out he, of? I don't see him being there at 56 either. No, no, but, but no, 36. But, he's saying if, 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 you, if, you're, if you haven't made the trade yet and you're getting oh. ready to and there's a player that drops to 36, you say, I cannot make this trade because I want this guy. Who Correct. is it? Would Bond stop you from making that trade? <sighs> Wow. That's a tough one because I feel like, you know, what the Giants did in free agency and wanting to get a little more out of this Kyler Frackrell guy and better play out of X-Man and, and Zoe. Man, I'll tell you, I, you, I'll tell you, I, I'll answer this question if my guy was there. You know who it is, Paul. Yeah, I know. I want gross mathos, man. I want There's that no guy There's no way he's so getting bad. there, Jeff. He he's not, not getting, getting He's I not know, getting a 36. I want him, though. And quite frankly – Epinesa's not getting a 36 either. That was going to be the next guy I mentioned. <laughs> he's not getting there, John. I think he's got a better shot than Gross Matos does. But I agree I with you. I agree, I agree with there, yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, if AJ's there, I'm taking him. I'm not making the deal. I agree with you. Would you Would you trade if Xavier McKinney was there? Because remember, here's the trick, too. In order for somebody to want to move up, there's going to have to be a player there that they really want. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what I mean? So that's where it gets tricky. Of course. And here's the thing, too, about this safety spot. I'm coming at you with John's perspective that the Giants have two starting safeties. The truth of the matter is, since the season ended, no one has asked Dave Gettleman or Joe Judge about the physical status of one Jabril Peppers. Why has none of the New York media, which in infinite wisdom, has decided not to ask about the injury status or or the rehab status of Peppers? Or, by the way, what do they see Julian Love as? That question hasn't been asked either. So, I mean, for all we know, the Giants may have one of the starting safeties or even both on their needs board without anybody having discussed it. Okay, I got a few more questions I want to get in here, Paul. Let's get them in, okay? Um, I got Danny. He asked, with no consensus top tackle at number one, though it feels like the NFL community is kind of centered on Wills and Andrew Thomas, which I totally understand. I'm on board with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Who would be the two guys other than Simmons – at tackle or another position that you would have high confidence in a number four that would not be a bust? Who's the safest picks 
Andrew Thomas. Who do you guys think at number four? Done. Andrew Thomas. And my prediction is the Giants will take Andrew Thomas. Let me get that out there right now. I think everything that Dave Gettleman has said from all of his public comments, the tea leaves and the breadcrumbs that he has dropped says he is taking Andrew Thomas. Yeah, definitely a safe pick. I mean, I I think that, you know, there's a guy I have always believed that, you know, (laughs) I just laugh because if I look back, I think we all thought that maybe Flowers was a safe pick, too. No, I don't. don't, He had projection on him. Um, Yeah, I don't think that's true. He was not safe. He was he was more of a desperate need than he was a value at that time. If you think about that year, we didn't talk much about Eric Flowers leading up to that draft. He was not a popular name for us to pick there. I mean. I look at Werfs, a guy that's, you know, he was he played a lot of football, man. Um, I think Werfs, Wills, and Thomas are all safe, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I think, do you know why? Here's why. I think Werfs is safe because I'm almost 100% sure he can be an all-pro tackle. Okay, all, I mean, Also, I mean, he can play me, both sides, too. I think, Good. I, I'm 100% sure Werfs can be an all-pro guard. Worst comes to worst, he can be a Quentin Nelson type, okay? Now, I think he can... I think he can be a very good right tackle. I'm not positive he can be great left tackle. To me, I think Jedrick Wills is the safest. I don't see a weakness in his game. I think he finishes. He's nasty. He's got good feet. His his athleticism was good. His length was good. And even if he can't move to the left side, if you have an all-pro right tackle on your roster for eight to nine years, I'm cool with that. And, mm-hmm. I'm, and, I, and, I, and I'm very happy with that myself. All right. Next question. I'm, I'm going to add another piece of uh, of beef to this meatloaf. Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's surprising at all if the Giants take two offensive tackles in this draft. Uh, I, I would no, not. I think they later yeah. on, they, I believe they will. I got yeah. no problem doubling up. Uh, this is a question specifically for you, Feegs, from Jeffrey, and this is in reference to Simmons. You've called him a jack-of-all-trades defensive player. So what happens if he gets hurt and misses a game here or there? Does that just completely disrupt your defense if you really don't have another player that can replace him because he's so unique? Well, I think it's a great question, but that's why you have to rely on your depth and 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 have guys that are versatile, you know. And so, which adding to depth means you're going to need another safety. <laughs> so I, you know, I think that uh, as far as other guys playing other positions, if he was out for you know a game, I think they would be fine with that. But they would definitely miss him. But I think they could get by, definitely. All right, well, here we- that's why you have a good coaching staff because mm-hmm. they got to try to find a way to coach guys right. up who are left on the team. Yeah, and adjust your defense. If you don't have a guy that can do those freaky things, you got to make an adjustment. Some which is, coordinators which is fine. are better than that at others. That's correct. Uh, Avi and Tel Aviv, Israel. And I've gotten questions from Brazil guys. It's really good. But all the nice things you guys say in these, these questions, by the way. Sometimes people take shots at Lance, but otherwise it, 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 it really is enjoyable. Um, <laughs> well, they miss him, though, because he's too short. That's true. <laughs> Avi in Tel Aviv, I've, I've listened to the podcast for more than four years, every morning in traffic. Um, thank you for learning all the ins and outs of the draft. Uh, his lemonade during this disturbing time is that he can listen to us talk for a whole hour without having to take calls from people like Charlie. Um, <laughs> did he really say that? <laughs> he, did awesome. say, he, he, he didn't mention Charlie by name, but he said you can talk the whole hour every day without interruption is the, is the word he used. Okay. And his question uh, do you think the fact that the whole player draft evaluation process has changed will increase the number of busts and or steals in the draft, especially since the smaller school guys is not as much information about it? Great question. Great question. Uh, I, I'll answer, Paul. I, I, I feel like it's, it's spot on. I think that he's right. I think it's going to be – there's going to be some guys that, you know, that are going to be – that just be – I think it's a great question, and yes, there's going to be both sides. There's going to be guys that 
um, are going to be bust, and there's going to be guys that come out of nowhere. I think there'll probably be more guys that come out of nowhere than there will be guys that bust. Well, we probably should get Charlie Casserly back on the line, but I think he would agree with you 150%. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess the small school guys especially, because especially, here's the guys, the the people that are really hurt by this are the guys that were not at the Senior Bowl and Mm -hmm. were not at the Combine. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Those are the guys that are getting really hurt here, and they might end up being priority free agents, and I think you might get some really good priority free agents this year if you can target the right guys. John, I'll give you a number. Last year, there were 33 non-Combine players who were drafted in the 2019 selection process. And there usually are around 30 in that category. Okay, so what what's the over under this year for that? Will there be more? Because obviously, probably no, not. It, right? I mean, it's going to be, be less. Way less. I think it's going to be less. way less. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, could it be? Could it be half of that? That would be horrible if it is, because you always have to have those guys that you know want to get those guys a shot. Um, but you know, I, and, and and real quickly, Charlie was saying and mentioning, and the question was about special teams and Joe Judge and the you know the back end of the draft and and getting you know some guys that can play. I feel like that's going to be a big big part of his draft because, like I told you guys before, the, the three components of winning, right? Those the offense, defense, and special teams. I think that Joe Judge has an idea that he could win the special teams battle every single week, which will give him an advantage of maybe picking up a couple extra wins on the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, he's going to have to surround himself and the team with really good special teams guys. Great point, um, Jeff. So that could be uh, something that you see where you say, well, wow, that guy is – I don't see him as being a great linebacker, but he's an excellent special teams player. John, you know? uh, kind of an addendum to that uh, non-combine invitee question is the fact that there have been at least two dozen players, I think, who came from the XFL – who have been signed to teams right now. Yep. The NFL teams know a lot about those guys because most of them were in camps before. Correct. Now they got to see them play an additional five games on tape about a month and a half, two months ago. And it would not surprise me if a bunch of those XFL guys actually made the back ends of rosters instead of some of these late draft picks or even undrafted rookie free agents because these NFL teams know more about these players. Hmm. Yeah. All right, final question. This one specifically for me. Uh, was well, This is from Jared. He was wondering if we were entertaining the idea of taking calls during this year's draft. He's only called to the show once. It was during last year's draft. Um, looking, he's been looking forward to the programs and possibly calling it again. So what plans do you have for a day one draft show? You guys did such a great job last year. Be safe. Uh, Jared, we're still figuring it out. I believe we're going to be able to go live on Saturday for some period of time. It does not look like we're going to be able to go live Thursday or Friday night, unfortunately. Uh, we have some of the heavy hitters, you know, the Papa Banks and O'Hara's of the world. They're going to go live after each pick. Um, and do that, but we are going to record podcasts each night, Thursday and Friday. We'll do a recap podcast on on Saturday in addition to the live one, so make sure you check those out. Uh, all of us will be involved in one way, shape, or form. We still figure out exactly who's doing what, um, but make sure you check it out. It won't be the same live stuff we do on Friday night, which stinks because it's Paul and I's favorite show of the year to do. It really it was really a great is. show. And it, we're really disappointed we can't do it. It's a combination of technical stuff and the NFL is rules because they're doing this draft-a-thon where they're doing a digital show where they're trying to raise money for first responders. So you don't want to compete with something that's trying to, you know, do a lot of good out there. So we get that. Um, So it doesn't look like we're going to have a live show, unfortunately, on Friday, which stinks. 
But uh, I hope you guys check out the podcast. We do post up uh, shortly after those picks are made. All right, before we say goodbye, guys, very quickly, um, I already got yours, I guess, Paul, with Andrew Thomas. What's your gut feeling for round number two? And then, Jeff, I want your gut feeling for round one and two as well as of Tuesday, April 21st. Well, I mean, I think in round number two, I, I, I'm going to go with uh, w- with probably Jeff's uh, favorite guy. I mean, I he's convinced me. I, I have heard from the last two to three weeks, Jeff Eagles pounding into my head that the Giants are going to have to take a center early in this draft. And here's the problem. Uh, if Ruiz is there and they can take him at 36. He won't I, be. I, I don't think he will be either. But on the happenstance that he is – I think Jeff is right. I think they will take him because Dave Gittleman has made a very strong emphasis in his last week of phone calls that the offensive line is the the uh, the uh, unit that sets the tone for the team and that Joe Judge and him both want a very strong offensive line to create their identity. So I'm thinking that Jeff has actually got his ear to the wall here, and I think he's right. Uh, I don't but, have my but, ear to the wall. Trust well, here's the problem, though, Jeff. If Ruiz isn't there, as John says, where are you going to get that center? Because now the well, guy you, you pick Cushion at ninety. Barry. Well, if you Cushion Barry at thirty-six, I don't. I don't know that he's good at 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 that spot. I don't know that he's worth that value there at that spot. And I don't think that the either uh, him or Hennessy are going to be available at ninety-nine. Which basically means if you're going to take a fourth-round center, you're better off sticking with Spencer Pulley. Okay, so to answer your question, offensive tackle, no question, number one. I, the guy I, I, I wanted was Becton. Yep. I said it all the time. I like him because he's just a he's just a monster. Okay, that's why I like him. I, I would not be upset if any of the other guys go. Uh, Thomas, you guys think that it might be him? I have no problems with him. Uh, my second round is definitely. I'm going to try to get a center. I am going to lock up that offensive line. For the next year or two, okay. I don't think that Solder will be here next year, and one of these guys can will move it around. But I just want to concentrate on this year. I need running lanes, and I need protection for passing. And this, I'm going to get it out of the first two picks. The third pick is going to be a safety. We talked about it earlier in the show today. I'm going to find me a safety at that third pick. Now, that third pick is going to be at 99. Without any trades at this point, so I feel like we can get as a good safety at that pick. I think that you know what Charlie said about safeties kind of going in those third, fourth rounds. You can get value there. I'm going to go with that guy, and then on the fourth, I'll even go to the fourth pick. Oh, wow, look at you! No, listen, because I haven't had a chance to tell you guys this, but the fourth pick might be in the third round if we do a trade somewhere in there. Okay, you can't count on that though, Jeff. This, but if it is, I'm just going to tell you who I want. I want what position I want, and okay. I feel like you can really get a good player at a wide receiver position with that fourth pick in the draft. Somewhere, some way, uh, whether it's in the third round or it's in the fourth round, um, those are my guys. But Mm -hmm. O-tackle, interior center, safety, and a wide receiver. All right, here's my gut. Um, I think it'll be either Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with the with the pick at the top of first round, if I, you put a gun to my head, I'd say Jedrick Wills, but I wouldn't feel great about it. Um, second round, I think they will try very hard to trade down. I think they might like one of these pass rushers more than we might think. Like I think maybe a Josh Uche, Uche from Ooh, Michigan, so small, could, could John. maybe. I I know you'd have to use him creatively on oh. early downs and then rush him on third down. That's the trick with him. And honestly. Same type of deal for Zach. He's like the same type of thing as Zach bought, to be honest with you. They're not much different. 
But I really like Uche as a player. He's excellent. He's really good. I saw him bull rush and put Tristan Wirfs on skates mm -hmm. twice in their game against Iowa. Yep. Really impressive. Um, it's a guy I like. I don't know a 36, maybe in a trade-down situation. And then my, my sweet spot, and again, I'm not saying they're going to pick the guy. It's just a guy I happen to like there. Uh, I could see a, a defensive back there too. I think in the third and fourth round, assuming they don't move, I think the sweet spot there is a wide receiver. Pick, you know, you'll get a, maybe a late second-round value there. And then I think you can find a good slot corner in that area too. Mm -hmm. Whether you're talking about the, uh, the, the kid from UCLA you could talk about Kayvon Wallace. You could talk about um, the Reed kid from Penn State. Um, the kid of Meek Robertson from Louisiana, I think, is another kid that I really like in that spot. So that's what I'm looking at right now. Luckily, um, we have another day or two before the draft starts before we got to finalize all this stuff. Yeah, John, I would say this. I do believe that sometime before the end of the fourth round, they are going to take a second offensive tackle. I really believe that. Yeah, I, that wouldn't surprise me either. If, if they pick an offensive tackle and I, – I, Look, to me, in 99, I think it's going to be too late unless a Prince Tega Winoho or a Ben Barch or someone drops Niang. that far. Niang coming off the hip. A lot of people like him a lot, but because of the injury, he drops. If he's there, yeah, I think that's a consideration. I agree with you. So I'm with you. All right, guys. Good stuff, my friends. Let's talk later in the week. Enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, John. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. And thank you to Charlie Casterly.